Welcome to the Nerdaplexy Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. Only five bucks to see the dancing freak. So sit back, relax, and grab your liquid skin as we dive into Dark Man. There's another uh, Elfman joint, that's for sure. Mm, can't get away from him, can we? This guy, I can't imagine the way he's reacting to this. Like, hit, like he's thinking, like, what, what luck? I wrote one good score, and everybody else just wants me to redo that for like the next twelve years. Do you think he goes on stage and they're like, play the reprise from Darkman? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't <laughs> pop up for him as much as for Radiohead. But this is great. The score is poppy and hoppy. Did you see the 75th anniversary Universal intro? I got a weird thing for the production company logos because Universal's got that cool, the word comes out, it's like a sunrise in space, and then it's, oh, it's Universal. And then on the version I watched, it was the 75th anniversary of Universal, so they did all of the logos back to back to back, and it was pretty chill. Production logos are a lot of fun. The TriStar one is my absolute favorite, that like Pegasus jumping through the prism or whatever. That is cool. That was a good one. I got to say, I've never picked my favorite studio (laughs) introduction. No? I'm thinking maybe I'm the weirdo, though, now. <laughs> maybe the Pixar one where the lamp sm- smashes the eye, or there's the with little boy on sitting on the moon with the fishing rod. Which one's that? That's DreamWorks. DreamWorks. That's a pretty good one. You probably know Lionsgate one. That's the one with all of the gears and like the fire and stuff on all those shitty horror movies. Oh, yeah. That one's rad. All right. Well, that's been Logo Talk, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we're going to wrap this one up. We'll start Narcman next time. We gotta cover Paramount. We gotta get Fox. <laughs> See, okay, okay. So yeah, well, guys, tune in next month. We're gonna be launching our new show. <laughs> well, I'm doing it, so it's just gonna be me screaming into a microphone for three and a half hours. All right, but Dark Man, Dark Man. This one was released August 24th, 1990, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Liam Neeson, Francis McDormand, Colin Frills, I don't know, and Larry Drake as Robert Durant. Frills, okay, Colin Frills. Quite a cast, I'll say that. So we talked about the opening logos a lot here, but I think this movie particularly has maybe the best opening line in any movie ever. Because he's an asshole. And then the next line is, well, fuck him too. (laughs) Eddie Black, man. That was quite a performance. Oh, an amazing character. I do feel like uh, this is the time we should mention that we also got Liam Neeson in this flick doing what has become his trademark action stuff. He probably doesn't do an action movie again until Taken. Because I remember being so surprised when Taken came out. I was like, Liam Neeson's an action star? He's going to kick someone's ass? And then he does. He kicks a lot of ass. Uh, and I, I, that was actually kind of the, the whole selling point of that movie is Liam Neeson, the action star. And then America could not get enough of that for, what, the next 20 years? Yeah. Taken 20. Taken from the nursing home. Yeah, because he does that. Then he's in, like, The Grey. Oh, shoot. You know what? He's in Gangs of New York, too. I did not know that. that oh, yeah. Up. Yeah, he's in a lot of good stuff. He's the priest. 
And believe it or not, Sam Raimi wanted uh, Bruce Campbell to p- play Peyton Westlake. Believe it or not. They're like this, baby. Oh, yeah, they're, they're boys. I was, I was being facetious. Of course he wants Bruce Campbell to do everything. Yeah. If he did a Jaws remake, he would want Bruce Campbell to be the shark. <laughs> now, is this Raimi's first big studio production? Yes. Okay. There's a 15-minute featurette on Dark Man on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it has some interviews with the cast and crew. Even in the featurette, he's like, well, I like to have control over everything. The studio doesn't let you do that. But he gets to do all of his cool Sam Raimi camera angles and shots and stuff that he's known for. Like all this really creative swirling cameras and transitions and stuff Mm -hmm. that he's known for. This one kind of gives him the cred to get to Army of Darkness in 92 Mm -hmm. and then Quicken the Dead in 95. It's interesting, you know, the studio pushing him around. He did come from that independent background. 81 is Evil Dead, uh, then it's kind of shorts and things like that, Crime Wave, never heard of that. Evil Dead 2 is 87, and then this is Darkman, and then it's kind of rapid fire from there on out. Then he does a couple of Spider-Mens, and uh, Drag Me to Hell he did, which is pretty brutal. <laughs> it's pretty stylistically done, though. I think it's it's not tasteful, but it's in the same vein as everything he's ever done before. Army of Darkness, Evil Dead. That's what I love about Sam Raimi, is that he has those moments there's a couple of what i was referring to as evil dead moments when dark man rages out and things like that and i was very happy to see the manic style of sam raimi making it into this movie i, I was afraid it was going to be a little bit more homogenized and studio friendly but this movie is still nuts well there's no tree there's no tree molestation in this movie so it is a little watered down well look they walked that one back for evil dead too so <laughs> I can't watch Evil Dead 1. I can. I started Evil Dead 2 and then go from there. It's one that you should definitely check out once for sure, but then, like, you know, <laughs> uh, trigger warnings, baby. Not for the faint of heart. No. Now, this movie is a lot more friendly. We get a very chill and very comic opening scene here. The stakes are very low. We got a big gangster meeting at the docks, and they're coming to Eddie Black's warehouse. And the boss, Durant, he's got like six or seven guys, and there's about a hundred Eddie Black guys, dock workers everywhere. They uncover so many weapons in in that it's I guess supposed to be like a normal negotiation that I would think finding one or two weapons for self-defense you know that's normal these guys are gangsters whatever of course they have something on them you got a piece on you they're dropping nunchucks they're dropping knives and all this ridiculous stuff it would be really hard to to deal in good faith after after finding all those weapons (laughs) was it a power play they're like look we got all this stuff check out our nunchuckahakus there are also some unorthodox weapons being used in this scene yeah it's a dude's leg we'll just go right to it It's it's a man's leg Hey, you guys, I was I was engaged to a girl with a wooden leg. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? How'd that go? I had to break it off. Hmm. Best character in the movie. I can't take credit for that zinger. Eddie Black, my man. Well, Eddie's got all those guys. He's got 100 goons with chains and guns. It's no match for one man with a weird prosthetic leg machine gun, though. They get the drop on them, and I guess I guess what happens, so... We're suspending disbelief and saying that the guy with the wooden leg, he grabs the gun and shoots a bunch of other guys, and then Durant's goons quickly grab their guns. But it doesn't look like that. It mostly looked like this one guy is killing everyone. And the cars that bust out of the containers to drive around are amazing. Great move. Totally ineffective. Okay. 
Granted, the car stuff was crazy ridiculous, but there was a gun leg. I want to make sure we're giving that its due here. Even Robert Rodriguez claimed that for a later movie, so it must be over the top. And even better, after he grabbed that leg, that dude was hopping around, <laughs> like doing nothing, just mm-hmm. hopping on one leg. <laughs> for the rest of the fight. For the rest of the fight. All he does is show up at these places just to bring his leg gun. Want to know what his name is in the movie? Oh, uh, is it Hop Along? Let's skip. Let's skip. Skip. <laughs> what would you call him in a pile of leaves, though, Reed? Uh, I don't know. Russell. Okay. That's, that's one. That's one. That's your first one. <laughs> you got two more. Use them wisely. So anyhow, the fight resolves. The cars, I think, were cool, but they didn't count on Durant being, like, the most stone-cold gunslinger there is because he headshots each of the guys in the moving cars. Nary a miss. One shot, one kill for all of these dudes. That was, like, extremely brave. He just standing in the middle of this warehouse. Him and Eddie Black both have to be the biggest targets for both sides, mm-hmm. right? And they just stand there. They have no faith that that those guys are going to gun them yeah. down. Well, I guess the element of surprise really got them. So Eddie Black is, all his boys are killed, and Durant's basically taking over. And we get to see one of Durant's, let's call it vices, I guess. He likes cigars, and he also likes cutting off little thingies. He does. This dude, uh, Larry Drake, mm-hmm. who plays Robert Durant. Yep. The only time I've ever seen him in anything before this, he plays... Uh, in L.A. Law, he's like a real like gentle, I don't know the best way to say, like developmentally challenged mm-hmm. individual. And so he's like really like soft, really nice. And, and then you see him chopping dude's fingers off. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, he's great in this, but sometimes he's stone cold, cool as hell. And then other times he's just like weird and pathetic. I don't know. It swings a lot for me. They didn't nail down what his vibe was. Besides collecting fingers. It wasn't very economical, though. I would think if you were keeping a finger collection, it would be like one finger from from everybody. He takes all of that dude's fingers. Maybe he just keeps the best one. Maybe he does just keep the best one, but cuts them all off. He's a taxidermy man. I mean, he's like treating them with some sort of like chemical or something. I don't know. I don't know. At first, I was thinking maybe he was taking away their identifying features, but then whenever they show his big old collection... <laughs> They show a couple of taxidermied animals, so maybe like he has like some preservation skills. He's so I don't know. I don't know. It, it's a weird, creepy thing that he does, and he does it. They do it a lot. He chops off a lot of fingers. Basically, every character in this movie is the star of another horror movie. Yeah, I could see that. Next introduction, we get to meet the soon-to-be dark man as he's in the lab cooking up a new nose. Yeah, we cut to the like the Polaroids, the the oh, yeah. old school graphics, three D printers. And the metal pin toys. Oh, that pin thing was great. It's like one of those things you get at the science center, Mm -hmm. the pins that slide, and then it forms whatever body part that they're working on and then (laughs) injects the liquid skin. It's modular. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. It's very convincing. They do hologram stuff. They have all kind of like CG business going on. And I think a lot of it might just be interesting camera tricks is superimposing another piece of film on top of the film for some moments but it is it is very very convincing it looks very cool and it works except the technique it cannot last more than 99 minutes and they can't figure out why the time limit back at home Peyton, our boy, kicks it with his lawyer gal pal Julie, and we get another very hyper casual proposal this is becoming a trend are you going to jump right past how they how they start get busy? And he's like, let's dance. <laughs> it's all in there. Yeah, there's a, there is a, yeah. 
I feel like that's a that would be a mood killer, but maybe not to Francis McDormand. Uh well, they're you know I don't know they're they're both kind of weirdos, so maybe it works mm-hmm. for. Her. <laughs> Sorry, back to the lame proposal. Oh yeah, but he proposes. It doesn't it doesn't work. It really sucks, and I mean Julie turns him down immediately because she's too busy tracking down bribes and rooting out corruption and stuff. Because it seems like somebody is in bed with Robert Durant, and it might be her boss. It is. Before we move on, I would like to touch on Julie's apartment. It is quintessential late 80s, early 90s perfection. Everything's off-white and gray. It's perfect. There's like hanging satin everywhere. It really transports you to the time. Yeah. That uh, mural like on the doors, there's like a beach mural painted on her bedroom doors. Cool. All cool. Mm. It's great. Uh, also, Julie's style throughout is quite good. A lot of like power pantsuit kind of things going on. Good looks. Lots of uh, brooches. That's what I'm looking for. Lots of brooches. A lot of brooch work in this one, guys. (laughs) I love her brooch work. (laughs) So Julie's on the case. She's doing some corruption thing. It seems like her boss is for sure working with Durant. And back at the lab, Peyton and his assistant... Yeah, uh, Yakitito. It was a real weird one. That was a, that was a tough one. Yakatito. Yakatito. Yes, there we go. I need to start writing these things down so I don't have to ask every time. But Yakakito nope. and Peyton are working in the lab, and they finally figured out why this skin self destructs after a hundred minutes. It's because of the light. It can only last ninety nine minutes. And they do the experiment, but it's in the dark, and it passes a hundred minutes. But as soon as the light gets back on it, once it's been in light for a hundred minutes, it's donezo. As soon as they crack that, Durant and his goons come in and start cracking skulls, baby. Yeah, and Smiley, who's the blonde mm-hmm. goon, he's using the leg gun again. He's got the leg gun up. <laughs> Did he take it again? <laughs> there is no security at this building. You could bring whatever gun you want. Well, I love that about their their that sense of teamwork they got, but can you just get him another leg? Maybe they had to sneak into the university or whatever, but they don't seem to be worried about getting in trouble with the law because they spend like an hour and a half just whooping Peyton's ass all through his lab. They electrocute him. They boil him in his own liquid skin. They cut off all of Yakatito's fingies. I hope he sanitizes that cigar cutter between uses because he was cutting a cigar at the beginning of the scene, and I know he had just cut off Eddie Black's fingers. Mm. Yeah, it's probably he's it's probably a special finger chopping one, you know what I mean? I mean, probably. Probably. I love that he just developed that move. He's rolling with it. So they leave, they get the memo. I think Peyton accidentally takes it to work with him. So they get the memo and then they blow up the lab in a kind of a weird elaborate thing with one of those birds that drinks water and eventually this one it runs out of water and it touches his lighter which explodes the lab just as julie is arrived across the street and this explosion this is when i knew what we were in good hands when this explosion happened i knew it was like okay all right this is the kind of movie we're gonna do because this is like what 10 minutes in 15 minutes in if that maybe so the building blows up julie on the street this is in the trailer. We, we kind of mentioned that it blows her hair back. There's a really cool moment where they like hit her with a gust of wind or something. They turned a fan on her and her hair kicks back. The building blows up and our boy goes, <laughs> baby, you're a firework. Dark man is born 
Yes, but he's blown out of the building, up through the sky, and burning like a shooting star, lands in the river and washes away. I do want to mention, there's this transition, one of these hyper-intense Raimi shots, where Julie is standing on the street watching the building burn, and it does a morph transition around her, and she's at Peyton's funeral. And that was like, whoa, that's a dope move. And that's not something I don't feel because this is his first big movie. And this is a kind of like a trend since he was like so stylistic. I don't think another director would do this because it probably took a ton of time to do. Oh, the continuity would be a nightmare. Yes. So it probably took them a ton of time to do this for just what, two, three seconds. But at the same time, it. That moment with the explosion and then that shot, I was kind of like, all right, I'm in good hands here. And I totally relaxed and was ready for anything the movie had to throw at me at that point. I I don't know how to explain it other than that. Frances McDermott here, wow, because she maintains her facial expression. It's perfect and exact. And it just, it really sells this moment. It seemed like it was pretty quick for them to bury his not even body without looking for him. What's what the gravedigger's like? Yeah, it didn't take me long to bury him. It wasn't much to bury. Do you have to dig six feet to bury a piece of an ear? Would you even ask them to bury a piece of an ear? The only thing that they would do, it's not like they just take the bits and just put them in a bag and throw them in the ground. I mean, it'd be like in an urn or something. Yeah. Or it'd be a whole ass casket. <laughs> right. It's just a funny moment, I guess. A weird, A weird joke for some reason. If there's a giant explosion, you know, you'd be looking for people in burn wards. Mm -hmm. I'll suspend disbelief that they didn't really look very hard for him, though. That's exactly where Peyton ends up. He washed down the river and landed in an experimental burn unit with this crazy doctor who's doing all experimental techniques on him. So the way she explains it is that she detached all of his nerves so he can't feel pain of his all super burnedness. But this supercharges his emotions and gives him rage powers, basically. She's nuts. So while she's explaining this, she's like, he can't feel pain at all. And she takes a nail and sticks it in his leg, and all of the doctors laugh. Yeah, you could stick him with a pin. He won't even feel it. We would have believed you. You don't have to actually stick him, you masochist. I mean, he could still get infected. He should be burnt over 90% of his body. He's in a bad shape, and you're just stabbing him? I don't know why they spun them. I mean, it's good science, probably. She should have been his last stop in this revenge thing. On the buzzard scale? Yeah, he about to die. That's not a normal expression. <laughs> but uh, buzzards go after dead bodies. So of a scale of 1 to 10? Why would she even say that? It's a weird moment. It's, it's not a thing you expect a doctor to say. I would love to follow that around. <laughs> Season 2, Ratchet. See, exactly. Like, this is what I'm talking about, though. She has her own horror movie that's going on in that fucking <laughs> hospital. She's good at being scary. Those doctors that are doing the rounds, there's John Landis cameo. Oh, yeah? There's another Raimi brother, either Sam Raimi or his brother Ivan. Not Ted Raimi, who's one of the goons. Yeah, Ted is Rick, our boy's uh, soon-to-be first victim. So Peyton now has super strength, and basically he's crazy because they cut all his nerves off, which I guess I understand that they wanted to get that out of the way. Isn't that something you want to like, ask a dude about before you disconnect all his <laughs> nerves? I don't know. I mean, he would be in extreme pain. One of many ethical issues, certainly. <laughs> The thing that confused me the most, mm -hmm. he busts out of there, yeah. hulks out, yeah. goes, finds himself a dumpster duster, 
I mean, that's a great get. That's a great get. I mean, that's like the second dumpster he looked in. He got a full-ass duster. They don't show you the, the 45 minutes he's looking in different dumpsters. He probably went right to the Goodwill dumpster or something. They don't say that just because he has no nerves that he can't get hella infections. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. She just poked him <laughs> with a random pin. Whatever. I, I'm just thinking he's far more permeable than he used to be. Yeah, certainly. He jumps out the window. But it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, he heads out. It's pouring down rain. The first place he heads to after he gets his dumpster duster is Julie's place. And she obviously doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's dead, and he looks like a scary uh, mummy. Uh, that's the first time she sets eyes on him like that. So I wrote freak cute. Freak cute. Well, okay, there we go. He didn't make a great appearance. Instead of maybe just like sticking around, just waiting there, and maybe he'll get another chance, he does the rational thing and goes and sleeps it off in a river, basically. He sleeps it off, he, and then he eventually gets the idea. It's raining so hard. There's so much water. He's, like, literally is submerged trying to sleep under a cardboard box. His only choice for a blanket was, a, yeah, a cardboard box. Cardboard box. So after he's done taking his little bath, he heads to his old lab, and it's trashed, and all his work is lost, but he gathers up computer equipment and uh, starts building a new lab layer in an abandoned factory. And he's going to make himself a new face so he can go talk to Julie. But the only picture he has is burnt, so it can't make him a new face yet. He has to wait 571 hours. And he says, quadrants, quadrants, extrapolate. I don't know. He looks at himself in the mirror. He freaks the hell out before he does all that. Yeah. He gets a couple of good freakouts. He does not like the way he looks. I guarantee it. We see him met multiple times with new clean bandages, and he comes right back to these spooky, dirty ones. Are we sure he just isn't getting real dirty every night? I don't know. He has some, some emotional issues, and he rages out a bunch of times, so maybe he just kind of he freaks out until he falls asleep each night. He yeah. just rolls around in the dirt. But he does a pretty good job. I'm surprised he got any of that computer equipment to work because it's all half-melted and stuff. And also at this point, he notices that his hands are messed up, and he's like, they took my hands. How didn't he realize by then? Yeah. <laughs> he uses his hands on, like, everything. I mean, he rebuilds his whole lab, basically. With them hands. And then realizes that they're jacked. He has no sensation. Maybe they cut a little monologue where he, I'll never be able to feel Julie's touch again or something. I don't know. But he's really bummed out about his hands. Mm, I see. We see her uh, living her life in the aftertimes. She's at a fundraiser for her boss. And he's building a new city on the waterfront, which is what the bribes were for. He's making passes at Julie, too. He really is going after her. And I, it was at this point, I'm not really sure how much time has passed. Is it like a couple of days? Because the funeral just happened. And normally that happens. I don't think it was that long. Yeah, I mean, that's like the week, two weeks after maybe. But it's not like they're waiting. Maximum. Not like they're waiting for family to get in. She's the only person at his funeral. So this is mm -hmm. the next week. And my girl's at work. And going to parties? Mingling. That's wild. Unbeknownst to her, Sir Darkman is watching her. And Strack, who is hitting on her, is looking to get super murdered. Because you just don't you just don't move in on Julie that quick. Before he can get to that, he's even more uh, angry. He sees another familiar face in there. It is Rick. Oh, yeah. And the guy who shot Taquito. Um, did I just call him Taquito? Right. He, ven he ventilates Takatito. Takatito. I don't even know if that's right anymore. Oh, 
Tacatito. I think you're right. Chocolatito. Yeah, my I don't know. I'm getting to <laughs> I'm just hungry. Sorry, I'm just very hungry. But anyhow, he sees Rick. This is one of the first raid shots, and it is great. The camera like zooms in and zooms in, and the background explodes, and he freaks out, and he kills Rick. He tortures him a little bit, and then he kills him with a manhole in a way that is uh, pretty original by sticking him up through the manhole. You get another glimpse into his super strength, too. He's lifting this dude up with no problem. He jumps off the top of a building to get him. Darkman, much like Danny, is turbo strong because those uh manhole covers are heavy right 250 i thought of that because i believe dark man pushes rick up through the manhole with like just his head so that, that would hurt really bad probably <laughs> crush your head is the theory that maybe danny is dark man mm. he changed his name from from danny to dan and then from Yo. dan to peyton westlake then from peyton westlake to darkman <laughs> This is a great scene. Director of uh, cinematography was Bill Pope, and he has worked with Raimi. They started working on Darkman. They worked together again on Army of Darkness. He went on to be the director of photography on all the Matrix movies, Freaks and Geeks. They worked together on Spider-Man, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Quite a storied career. Mm-hmm. World's End, a Metallica tour. He, he, oh, he shot the one video. Also, The Spirit. That was kind of a stinker, but it looked great. Oh, Jungle Book? Holy shit. Oh, Baby Driver, too? And, oh, my God, this guy, Bill Pope, he is my hero now because I just looked to see that he also was the DP on Alita Battle Angel. Never saw it. That's a fucking flick. You want to talk about peak Sam Raimi. Peak Sam Raimi is that typing sequence with that burnt hand. Oh, my goodness. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, it's just clicking and clacking. It looks like it's a deadite arm. That is for sure a deadite arm that they just had kicking around. Or if not, they used it again for sure. Because mm-hmm. that scene was amazing. There's a, a bunch of amazing visuals in here. And it just really shows Raimi's background with horror and stop motion. Bill Pope, obviously, who's just a killer, apparently. <laughs> He's great. So Rick's dead. Darkman's going around, and he is tracking all the goons. He's getting photos because he's going to bring down this organization with some Darkman powers, his technology, uh, and by impersonating the goons and taking the crime ring down from the inside. He impersonates Polly. Small beef. He is in no way the same size as Polly. <laughs> hey, well, maybe he just got real swole from listening to an ad from our sponsors. Darkman knocks the real Polly out, then does like a cash drop that Darkman steals and sets Polly up for, and then plants in his apartment plane tickets for Polly and Rick so that Durant is going to come looking for Polly and find him with a packed bag and plane tickets. So Durant finds Polly in bed and he finds a plane ticket and he's like, Oh, you're going on a trip. And he said, And Polly's like, Oh, boss, you're going to kill me. He's like, Nah, I'm just going to help you make your flight and then throws him out the window (laughs) i'm sorry this movie tickled me to like the core i i love this movie the stunts in this movie as well as the visual effects are amazing because polly jumps out of the window and then lands on a car and there's no way that they didn't throw a man at least like five stories it's it's very good work i have a question about this scene okay because we see at the bottom that dark man is still posted up outside the apartment. Just sitting there. 
in front of the apartment on a bench. <laughs> it's cool for a scene, like, so the lady sees that Polly, the real Polly, is dead on the car. Then she looks over and sees Polly over there with a big smile on his face. And then his face starts to melt. But why even have the timer if not to keep yourself from, A, being out where you're going to melt, and B, why would you be at the place where Durant is looking for Polly in Polly's room out in front of the building? He could have easily driven past you. Well, his emotions are too high. His emotions are too high, so he had to, like, stick around. He's too horny for revenge. Invest in an umbrella to keep the light away from your mask. If he's waiting for a bus, he probably knows the bus schedule, and he knows that he has not enough time to wait for the bus because he just goes okay, booking I after he starts this, melting. I got this. Here's the thing. Here, I will say, first... Darkman is proved, and kind of the whole theme of this movie is that he gets so wrapped up in his internal bullshit that he disregards the external world to his detriment multiple, multiple times. So for narrative purposes and character purposes, and also it's a triple threat because it's a cinematic moment where it's a dead guy and you can pan the camera over and then the guy is sitting right there. So I think devil's advocate corner. That's, that's my three reasons, narrative purposes, a cinematic trick, and also dark man's totally crazy at this point. He's, he's out of it. This is the point whenever he zips back to his warehouse and he gets scoffed at by the cat or whatever you call that. He's, Oh Yes the best part of the movie so the cat's freaked out by him or something i don't know mm -hmm. honestly i don't think he looks half bad for having been immediately near an explosion and blown sky high he should be ashes he's got pretty much of his <laughs> musculature left yeah at the, this point he starts doing his best al pacino because he's he's mad that even the cat scorns <laughs> his his existence what am i some kind of a circus freak is that it is that it? Some kind of a freak. Maybe he puts a little hat on. Funny little hat. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah. He says. The dancing freak. Pay five bucks. This is the dancing freak. Only five bucks. Really bizarre. See that dancing freak. Five bucks. He freaks out and then goes absolutely bananas. And I love that my dude has a little rage room in his secret lab where he gets too stressed out. He can take a pipe and smash a bunch of boxes. I need that. He brought extra stuff from the lab just in case he needed to smash it. He goes buck wild. <laughs> so after he dances and freaks for a while and smashes a bunch of boxes, his face is ready now. So it's time for a meetup. But Peyton... He's not quite mentally up to snuff and can't quite pull it off. So he goes and meets Julie and reveals that he's alive at the cemetery. You kind of see, and this is some great work by Neeson here, by kind of gradually ramping up because the gimmick that he only has 100 or 99 minutes is so great because it puts a ticking clock. It's such a great narrative device that every interaction has a a ticking clock and it, it like adds this extra stress to an already unstable man and gives him this wild manic energy like he's a half hour late for work already all the time it's really good acting on his part it's really effective it makes you as nervous as he seems to be so he can't stick around for long and he, he heads back to the lab to get his revenge on and just a quick side note here after this meeting 
this is the first time you see him with like nice clean clothes and bandages and stuff. And when he gets back to the lab, he puts on all the old dirty bandages again. <laughs> this time he wants to impersonate Durant. Again, these dudes are wildly different sizes. Yes. Did you guys like his his setup attempt when he went <laughs> he went to a convenience store and robbed it and said, "Look directly down the lens of the security camera to say, I am Robert Durant and I am robbing this convenience store." <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. A little self-incrimination there. So Durant gets arrested, but he gets out on bail. But he only needed Durant out of the picture for a little bit so that he could impersonate Durant because there's a big meetup in Chinatown uh, to get some money. And the head of the Chinatown mob doesn't want to pay Durant. So by... You mean hung fat. Hung fat. Uh, By way of intimidating him, he burns his hand. And (laughs) for some reason, this freaks out hung fat so badly that he consents and gives dark man the money he remembers oh yeah i do have all that money <laughs> i'll buy it i'll buy it i'm surprised because the the skin seems so fragile to light mm-hmm. that putting a lighter up to it wouldn't melt his hand off literally exactly at the beginning of the movie he's developing this liquid skin to help burn victims and then mm-hmm. becomes a burn victim himself so maybe there's like special properties in the liquid skin, but the only problem is that it only lasts 99 minutes. This is like the last thing they have to crack. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's weird. It, it should melt. And he sure. does that little bit where he says he has until he finishes his cigar, and then he chops it in like to a third. Oh, that's cool, though. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, like a little nub. Okay, yeah, all right, I forgot about that part, but that, because that part's dope as hell. He's like, yeah, until I finish this cigar, and then chops it. So he gets the money, Robert Durant gets out of jail, he has his lawyers post bail, and then heads straight for the meeting place, and he sees himself in the revolving door to the Chinese restaurant. You get a cool revolving door scene where they're both in there. All of the kind of parent trap double twin stuff i feel like is a lot of fun and pretty effective i I never saw the seams on it too bad i called this a replicute (laughs) okay all right that's two i was saving it you could i I was gonna give you the bits and then save the filet for later that's yeah that oh good Mm, my chef's kiss yeah So there's a very cool interaction. They got the classic gag. Oh, no, shoot him, not me. No, him. He's the one. Oh, no, it's him. Although Peyton is so bad at impersonating people, I feel like this is this is like it's a pretty easy <laughs> determination. Yeah. There. But then Gu- Guzman gets backhanded by both of them. Peyton gets away. His face starts to melt and he runs away with the cashola. And then takes his girl to the carnival. <laughs> That's so bold. The, at the very beginning of the carnival, and this is narrow casting for, for, for Pittsburgh people. Okay. But is that lady oh. who's like that wild laughing, not animatronic, I guess, but it's like a doll that moves. Is that the exact same thing as laughing Sal at Kennywood? Is this a, a standby of carnivals, this character? Uh, I see. I see. You gonna drop it in? Yeah, I dropped it in the Slack. Oh yeah, dude. That for like yeah. That's Kennywood. If not this exact thing, it's the exact vibe mm-hmm. for sure. This is because this is from Kennywood, right? That's the Kennywood picture. Yeah, could probably grab the. Uh, no, it's okay. The Darkman. Uh, 
I didn't think of that until you threw that out there, but... Uh, it's Laughing Sal. The most horrific visage. This is actually four steps away from the entrance in one of the most popular children's rides in Kittyland, the Kennywood Park. <laughs> I think now it's a Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, bullshit. Kennywood is one of those, when we were children, it was, uh, it's like a park that's existed in Pittsburgh for years and years, hundreds of years. And there was a lot of stuff, especially when we were kids, that was creepy statuary that it was supposed to be fun, but it was creepy. Kids stuff in the 60s and 70s supposed to be friendly is just downright horrifying. For sure. So there's like a trend to make things horrible and scary and think it's cute. I just cleaned out my attic and I had an old my buddy. <laughs> my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy. Wherever I go, he goes. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. I had to get it out of the house. It was too spooky. It was too spooky. He had to go. Sorry, buddy. You're gone. Okay, he went right to Goodwill. All right, I threw, I threw the dark man one in the slack. They both have the missing tooth. I think it's the exact same doll. They're like sisters, man. That's just a different wig because that Kennywood one changed multiple times over the years. There you go, Pittsburgh people. Yeah. Kennywood, Laughing Sal is in dark, man. All right. All right, Dave, this, one, this, is, a, this is a narrow cast just for you, buddy. <laughs> Here you go, Dave. All righty. <laughs> um, okay, so we're at the carnival. It's going great. They're doing rides. It's fun. Um, Peyton is still a little, he's a little manic. He looked like he just bumped about 100 rails of cocaine and <laughs> went to this carnival. He's losing it. He wants to win Julie a pink elephant and trips out at a, at a carnival worker. And we get another great Raimi moment here where he rages out and just yeets this boy right through the whole stall. He knocks over the things. He grabs a he grabs the pink elephant and gives it to Julie and she's like, Well, I, I don't want it. And he says, Fucker take it. <laughs> he also he breaks the Carney's fingers. Oh twists shit. Twists them perfectly That's... sideways. But they Ooh. zoom in, it's very rubber. It's still freaky though. I mean it was effective. It got me. I have a weird finger phobia because I, I play instruments a lot. Oh, that made my butthole clench for sure, baby. Right hand is fine. Don't don't mess with my left. I have a question. I may have an answer. Why does mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. continually choose daytime events to take his old lady out? Do you th- yeah. Whenever he could easily mm-hmm. probably go to the same exact carnival yeah. at night and then go to a late dinner. I'm sorry, we'll eat outdoors. Hey, yeah. Julie, go get us a table. I'll wait outside. He's too fixated on revenge because crime people only do crime stuff at night. That's so he has true. To do all of his that crime is true. At night. He's got he's to squeeze her in. Probably only half of the criminal stuff is happening at night. He's doing this stuff in the daytime, which also is another question. Why isn't he getting these criminals at night whenever he can wear the mask? And it stays. Because it's great. It, that ticking clock is too narratively interesting. You got to go with it. Okay. And they, they, built that, they built that face bubble effect, and they're going to use it, damn it. That face bubble effect is really gnarly. So They earned their R on this one. So back at the circus, Julie's freaked the hell out by him breaking... Carney fingers and getting the pink elephant for strength. her, and his face starts to melt, and he dramatically runs away. Yeah. That run was goofy. It's not the funniest run scene in this movie, though. Not by half. Okay. <laughs> I don't mind taking this out of sequence. 
But way funnier is whenever he's hanging from the helicopter and he has to do quick little twinkle toes on top of that box truck. That got a belly laugh. There's some very effective comedy moments and that just proves comedy and horror are two sides of the same coin. People who are good at comedy are good at horror and we get a lot of both in this intentionally and unintentionally both. This movie is very scary and very funny. Peyton does his weird, his weird dancey shuffle. Is it because he's so tall? It's because Liam Neeson's like mad tall, right? It's because he got big old gangly legs. He's six foot four. That's not a little guy. You have something there. I think he's got the Waluigi problem. He can't, he can't fucking go. Is it because he's Irish? Yeah. I don't know. Six foot four non-athlete. That is exactly how you expect them to run. Did you ever see Yao Ming run? That shit's funny. But he's like seven foot two. Also, I feel like Shaq didn't run his whole ass career. So like, (laughs) it's like three steps to one side, three steps to the other. Peyton's not fast enough to outrun Julie. She follows him home and figures out his secret. And then we get to see for the first time fully unmasked Darkman and whoa baby these visuals here this makeup is incredible he looks fucked up he looks fucked up yeah he's got no lips which gives me a a slight beef unless he's a ventriloquist that how is he making these like b m v sounds without lips um his teeth his teeth are real are real loosey-goosey in there so he's he just (laughs) uses those as pseudo lips yeah yeah Oh, yeah, so she, so Julie, she's like, I'm ready to help you. And he's like, no, I'm I'm still fucking buck wild, girl. You can't. He's like a weird skeletor. So, like, I, I understand where they're both coming from, but because, like, I don't feel like she could really, like, deal with that. Um, They don't show you what his nards look like. That's a lot to deal with. Now, can he make whatever dingus he wants and last 99, 99 minutes? minutes? That's Hey, that's more than enough time, baby. <laughs> That's 97 more minutes than most people need. Well, he also doesn't have any nerves, though, so. <laughs> he seems like he'd be a kind and giving lover. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, very a very giving lover. Dark man. Very, a very gentle, delicate. What other body parts would you create? Now, okay, consider this. Your, his little, his little ding dong uh-huh. would last way more than 99 minutes because you put it in your pants. It's dark in there. <laughs> we gotta move on. We gotta move on, baby. It's too much. I don't think I can. I think I'm stuck here. I, I'm in a vortex. I'm spinning. Flag on a play. <laughs> Go to horny jail. But what other body parts would you guys create if you could create any body parts? Pass. Hard pass. J- a J-Lo butt? I think we're onto something here. <laughs> so anyhow, so uh, Julie goes back <laughs> to the lab. Oh, at this point... Uh, Julie goes back to see her boss. Who she's breaking it off with? What? (laughs) This must be some of that shit that got cut. They mention it again, though, because he's trying to tell her that he's a freak of nature, but all he can say is, well, it's because I'm worried that you've been seeing someone Uh since I've been gone. And she says, I have, but it didn't mean anything. It was just uh, for comfort. Yeah. So then you find out that the person she's seeing for comfort you could have guessed, is her boss, Strack. And he has a very extravagant display where he, like, presses a little uh, a little button and it opens up these cool doors. Oh, that was a cool scene. Onto a blue screen of uh, just a development site. I, I'm, I'm unclear as to what he's... He says that he's building a new city, so I feel like 
the the memo the memo talked about the waterfront and i believe that's why they were pressuring eddie black because he was on the like the dock so maybe they were holding out and he's going to tear all that down and build a city i believe that's what wow you just opened that up to me because i i thought that was just like a display of how badass the dude is and i didn't really realize that it had actual meaning in the movie and now i do and it definitely does i don't know what i thought that was for but they sort of never mention it again except now that you say that they mentioned like the waterfront a couple of times yeah some municipal thing i'm just assuming that that's kind of like they were just trying to build clear land for this new development and they're really working it they're almost freaking done with whatever they got going on that's a really good catch this is a great moment francis mcdermott's killing it here she goes to break it off with him and he basically is like oh no i'm like the bad guy though so like nah and she says if you're not going to kill me i have things to do and i just thought wow baby that's some fucking shit right there that is a fucking line it's really tough that's stone cold i absolutely love that julie is great in this whole movie except i guess because she was hooking up with strack after she knew that he was dirty because she had the memo and how would you not assume that it was him because he was like well just bring it to me and i'll hold on to it or something i'm like oh okay of course it's him she should be smarter than that (laughs) yeah well he's got the memo so he lets her leave after that dope ass line they follow Julie back to Darkman, and they come at my dude hard. They got machine guns. They got grenade launchers. They got helicopters. They are going for it. And finally, Smiley has a gun that isn't his buddy's leg. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they've got some guns, and they've got that good, good movie, no reload clips. If I saw that dark room full of faces... I would just start shooting everything. They shoot everything. They don't even look for they don't even look for Dark Man. They just shoot everywhere. I mean, they were doing it before that, but afterwards, Dark Man does his good tricks and he does some really creepy impersonation stuff when he puts on Smiley's mask and then walks up and they're both smiling at each other. It's wild, but then he 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 beats him up pretty good. <laughs> But before that, right before that, he he makes Smiley kill his buddy because he puts his face on Guzman. Mm-hmm. Guzman, yes. And uh, then Guzman's trying to say, like, no, don't shoot. And he opens his lips, and all you can see is duct tape yeah, very cool. on the inside of his mouth. Very cool. And then Smiley rips his face off, and it's Guzman. Yeah. Then he comes out as himself, which is extra creepy. Dark man. He sees his opportunity. He jumps on the helicopter using that good old super strength. He almost gets shot and falls out. And before he does, he throws down the helicopter anchor. I don't, I don't, it's a big hook. He, he, there's a big hook on in the helicopter. Let's call it a helicopter anchor. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact thing you don't want on a helicopter. Yeah. It's like specifically <laughs> designed for the purpose of A, standing on so you don't fall off the helicopter and B, later destroying said helicopter. No. Okay. I get it out there. I get it. So like helicopters do sometimes have those things but like mm-hmm. well it's not like they were about to use that for anything why would that just be on there uh, anyhow 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 yeah they were they were docked at the helipad so that the helicopter wouldn't fly away on right. its own it's like a hot air balloon i get it i get it <laughs> in the featurette liam neeson says that sam raimi promised him that whenever he was doing that it wouldn't the helicopter wouldn't go up over 15 feet 
and he said in when it actually happened he looked down and and he could see like at least a couple hundred feet to the ground <laughs> he's freaking out <sighs> that's the movies baby that's the movies that's showbiz <laughs> Well, this is all a setup, so I get I get it. It's it's all movie magic so that we can have a very exciting helicopter pendulum scene where they actually put a man on a hook at the end of a helicopter and flew him willy-nilly around the city and then chased that helicopter with a man on it with another helicopter. Um it it's it's very cool. Uh, there's a bunch of comedy moments here. The first of which is he smashes through a office building like onto the conference table and then gets sucked back out and before he does he says excuse me and then gets zipped out (laughs) gets zipped out that's a really funny bit and I don't know how we pass this up but in the uh, the way that he explodes his warehouse he sets up the exact same Rube Goldberg explosive as a hologram on the other side the little drippy bird assuming that's where Smiley's gonna look first and then he's trying he finally gets to the thing to take the bird away from the lighter and he turns around after he sees his hand go through it and realizes that it's on the other side of the warehouse and it blows up blows up big time it's a lot of fun i like that he went out special to get another one of those just in case he ever had to blow up the lab and right after he falls out of the building after he says excuse me they start like dipping him in and out of traffic Mm -hmm. which is a good bookend because it's the exact oh opposite thing that he does to Ted Raimi earlier. He's dipping him up into traffic, and now he's getting dropped down into traffic. <laughs> there you go. I, I don't know if that was on purpose, but it, it felt satisfying to me. Reciprocity. Yeah, this is where you get that fun thing where he runs on the top of a, a tractor trailer. He gets blasted by a couple of trucks, and they blew up a ton of cars. Durant is just blasting everything with a grenade launcher at this point. He blasts that police helicopter with a grenade launcher. He's just blowing dudes up. He does not give a damn. Even should he survive this, Mm -hmm. there's no way. No way. He got almost put away for robbing a 7-Eleven. He's out on bail. He's out on bail, and he's blowing up police helicopters with a grenade launcher. That's got to be against the terms of bail. I would think. Yeah, I feel like that would definitely for sure violate your probation if you went (laughs) on a grenade launcher spree through a city and blew up like 24 cars and killed about 13, 14 people. (laughs) I think that definitely violates your probation. I think that violates it. Well, it doesn't uh, doesn't do him any good because, like you said, we got that anchor out and uh, Darkman lands on a tractor-trailer truck and hooks the hook on there and drives him through a tunnel, smashing the helicopter on the outside with a great line there. I think he just says, Burn in hell! Burn in hell! (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't slow the tractor-trailer truck down one bit either. (laughs) A, being attached to a helicopter, and B, exploding said helicopter. Hey, you've heard of keep on trucking. He just keeps on trucking. I guess in his defense, there there were many explosions on the road previously. So I think Liam Neeson is so perfect for this role because him being Irish, trying to speak with an American accent, oh, it's yeah, is is like such a great analogy for Darkman trying to like be normal. Yeah, he just sounds so bizarre. Sound like a man with no lips. Yeah. It's very stilted. It's not quite. It's not quite to like the Qui Gon Jinn we get a little bit later. That's not a little quite. bit more, or like 
the taken is a little stilted, but there are moments where he's definitely straining against the accent for sure. Mm-hmm. The helicopter moment is again perfect through and through. The helicopter blows up, and then uh, Lewis Strack takes Julie uh, to his construction site to kill her with obviously the greatest dramatic effect. He meets a beat up looking Durant at the construction site itself, and obviously it's Dark Man in disguise and. Strack knows that it's Dark Man in disguise. So they have a little showdown at the top of the steel building where Strack says that he was raised, he used to have to work on the top of a steel mill when he was 15 or something. Pretty wild. So he's got the advantage walking the beams. Yeah, he's actually pretty badass, isn't he? And he's got that big, nasty gun. Oh, uh, that was pretty sick. Rail gun size rivet gun. It's like the BFG over here shooting rivets. He also says, When I was young, my father made me work high steel. Just me and the Indians. Yeah. No one else crazy enough to run around up here against the wind. At $4.50 an hour. I have no idea what he's talking about. I didn't really get that. I don't know. Was it like, is he like referring to like Indian people who work in construction or like Native American people who are good at climbing things? I, yeah, I didn't get that at all, man. That's, that was wild. It's just a weird detail to throw in, especially because he's speaking like dance up here, dancing with the wind or something like that. It seems, I, I don't know. They're, they're mixing their metaphors big time. He's very nimble on his feet, though. Oh, yeah. he's. I mean, he is He is quite nimble up there. This this um, scene, actually, we, we talked about other Spider-Man parallels. This has, this has big James Franco energy, mm-hmm. and they're like at the construction site. There's lots of recurring themes throughout his work, which is interesting to see. And we'll actually get to later. At this point, Julie fights off some of her attackers, but it doesn't work out entirely, and she's hanging on a piece of rebar. Very convenient rebar. Yeah. And Strack, our discount Gordon Gecko, really whoops the shit out of Dark Man here for, for mm. quite a while. And at one point calls him Burnhead. Yes, Burnhead. I wrote that down too. <laughs> yeah, got him, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Could have called him Freddy Krueger. I don't know. But um, Darkman eventually gets the upper hand and is dangling him off the building. And Strax says, That's not something you can live with. And he says, I'm learning to live with a lot of things. And drops that boy off the building. And at the very last second, he's able to swing out again, doing his helicopter anchor tricks, and grabs Julie. And she says, We can work this out. You got your skin and all that. And he's like, Ah, uh, yeah, I used to think that too, but I'm, I think I'm way too far gone for all that. And he runs off into the crowd and dons a new mask. And at the very last moment, he gives one last look back to her and we get a cameo of Bruce Campbell, baby. I literally cheered. I cheered out <laughs> loud. That was great. And he's listed in the credits, Bruce Campbell, as the final shemp. And uh, if you know Three Stooges... <laughs> Shemp is uh, frequently doubled by lookalikes because of because he, he died. That's funny. So. The final Shemp. The final Shemp <laughs> is Bruce Campbell. Yeah. So that's it. That wraps up Dark Man. That was. It's a ton of fun. We'll get into the budget, box office, the numbers, the reception, and all that in just a moment. But before we do that, let's step into that comic convergence. <laughs> So I'll kick off the comic convergence. Now, we stated before that Darkman wasn't 
strictly speaking, a comic book character at the time of the filming and creation of this movie, but not long after they were making comics. While this wasn't based on a comic, um, it wasn't able to be based on a comic, Sam Raimi wanted to base this on The Shadow, but he couldn't obtain the rights, so that's when they switched it over to Darkman. So this started out as a shadow project. And that explains a lot of the look, too, because he's wearing the the wraps. The hat. And it's it's always kind of alluded to that the shadow is disfigured underneath Mm -hmm. what he's wearing kurt busiek or busik roger stern they wrote a trade called Darkman vs army of darkness and it's illustrated by james fry and it is uh a dynamite comic we mentioned before that army of darkness was a sam raimi movie if you get a chance give i think you should give it a read if you enjoy the uh enjoyed the flick because it's pretty neat how they do it Mm -hmm. it starts out with julie's assistant finds the necronomicon and they they read off some of the spells, yeah. Uh, and it it brings deadites to their town. It turns Julie into this queen of the deadites. <laughs> Darkman's uh, vested interest is to bring her back around without having her killed. There you go. And Julie's assistant uh, absconds with the Necronomicon with Darkman to uh, the library, and ba- they barricade themselves nice. in, and they call this hero out of time, and it opens a vortex and. Ash comes out, and hijinks ensue. Yeah, well, they, this wasn't based on a comic originally, but they absolutely made a bunch of comics, and this opened up a whole Darkman universe. Although Darkman himself wasn't based on a particular character, if you would have told me when I watched this movie there's a rich history of Darkman, they've been making this since the 30s, this has that vibe. It slots perfectly in. I mean, this is a comic character. It has that pulpy feel. The gimmick is good that the faces melt and things like that. It adds hooks. It adds tension to your comic. It was extremely well done, especially Raimi, obviously a comic lover. This hits the tone perfectly. They made this movie look great. It looked just like a comic book. It was striking. There was lots of things going on, and they did it on quite a budget. This one came in at $14 million, and woo, baby, they they hit this one out of the park. Sam Raimi can can make magic on a shoestring. For sure. All those indie techniques, because there's a lot of stuff in here. That whole helicopter bit probably costs a solid million dollars. And they blew up all them cars. Yeah. But this did really well. Opening weekend, it made $8 million. Total gross domestic was 34 And worldwide, it ended at around 49 50 mil. Great success. Critically, it was pretty widely panned. It came out as just kind of okay. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics rating was a 59. Metacritic was a 65. But resoundingly, the fans loved this one. On the Tomatometer, that's 84. And Metacritic got that 8.7. So this is this is a cult hit. It certainly grew with time. I think this one benefited from being in a VHS era. Because this one has only grown with time. But that takes us on to our next segment. Where we decide who's our hero. And who's our villain? Maybe I'll put a song in. I'll try Reaper. Try to do a little MIDI. Who's a hero? Who's a villain? Okay. I would like to start with a villain. My villain is the burn unit doctor. This is the first time I'm not going to pick the actual hero. Because she's just so damn bad. (laughs) Isn't she? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't even know if I need to explain it. No. I mean, she has no bedside manner. <laughs> none to speak of. 
and not to mention she's not very good because he escapes seven seconds after she says that he's he's gonna die she's very bad and she sticks him with the pin with all those she's teaching this is the other problem this is behavior that will be taught to those these are her residents those residents that are following her around oh you could stick him with a pin he can't even feel it and then she sticks him with the pin you don't have to stick him with the pin you could just say it and i'm sure they believe you <laughs> and he's in a coma anyhow yeah who cares he's nobody why are we saving him then just cause they just want to they just want to why are you why are we saving him just so that you can like poke him that makes no sense i i i never saw dark man two or three i really hope they get back there that's gotta be the plot of three at least (laughs) um i think i'm gonna go with Polly. i'm gonna go with Polly on this one because there's a very long sequence where he was learning how to use his face and being really weird in the mirror and that I, mm. that was pretty impressive for just someone who plays a heavy. I'm glad he got the chance to like play a little bit in the in the acting space cuz I'm sure he doesn't get that chance often, but uh, that was a very cool moment. I liked it a lot. But my hero is Eddie Black for sure. He was great. He had a bunch of zingers. I mean, his only real problem was that he hired bad help. So maybe like bad judge of character because not one of those guys, not one of those guys, but there was like a hundred guys and they didn't kill a single one of those dudes. If they all just shot their guns in the general area, they could have hit at least three of them boys, but he was very cool. He was underutilized. Uh, I wish I could have got some more of him. I'm ready with my hero. My hero is uh, Yakutito um, because he dedicates his life to his craft. He dies for it. And before he dies, Mm -hmm. he does his fair bit of (laughs) ass-kicking on those goons before they do ventilate him, before they do put a hole through his head. He beats a little bit of ass. So he doesn't go down without a fight, and I respect that. He beats ass, dude. Gotta love a man who beats ass. (laughs) Also, I got a bonus villain. And the bonus villain would have to be the cat. <laughs> he accepts this cat into his home. Wow. Shows him nothing but scorn. That cat was there when he moved in. He was an intruder. Okay, so he's taken over his space. His roommate at, okay. at, at worst. At worst. Are we hoping that the cat got out of the warehouse before it exploded? <laughs> <laughs> I, cats are very canny. They are very canny creatures. I am sure that he made a dramatic escape. We'll get to our ratings in just a moment. But before we do, let's check out the movie we'll be watching for next time. This one is 1990s Hardware. Okay. Oh, it's a Dick Stanley. Let's get to the ratings. I was enthralled the whole entire time. <laughs> I, Liam Neeson just, like I, I always say, he just took me away to this world, to his Darkman world. Yeah. I will say that the trailer for Darkman actually did it quite a disservice because when we watched the trailer, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, this movie looks like it's going to suck. And yeah. Also, armed with the knowledge that the budget was only $14 million, yeah. and what they were able to do with a $14 million budget is absolutely insane. Incredibly impressive. Uh, the acting was good. It was never too over the top, except for one scene where he's dancing like a freak. But I mean, um, was that just? But, I mean, that was just that was perfect, just right. After the first couple of minutes, you're like, "Whoa, we're really in it," and then you just kind of are there, and it and it doesn't matter. It's it's stylized. It's a little bit over the top in a Raimi way that is kind of his whole style. And if you come at this movie with a modern mindset of like thinking about a comic movie, you're you're gonna have a bad time. You need to think about this movie more like a universal monster movie. This is like Frankenstein or the invisible man. Exactly. 
but a kind of a serialized character. It's very operatic. It's huge. It's over the top. So a lot of the wild choices that everyone is making, I don't mind because this looks like it's supposed to be on stage or something. It's very theatrical in that way. Extremely heightened. And it's also so down to earth. There's never a moment where these effects had took me out of it at all. The cinematography there, it's all there for me. But I loved it. This uh, From start to finish, I, I love this movie. And anyone who likes cult movies, anyone who likes horror movies, this is an absolute must watch. All right, well, that'll just about wrap us up for Darkman. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you, and we'd appreciate it as well if you could rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out tremendously, getting us into the ears of people that may not have heard us before. Uh, Very special thanks also to our social media manager, Dave, uh, over at The Face of Dave. You can hit him up on Twitter. You can hit us up at Nerdaplexypod, and if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to drop us a line at nerdaplexypodcast at gmail.com. All right, make sure to check out hardware for next time. And before we go, I'd like to leave you with this thought to ponder. Y'all think I could pull off a duster? <laughs>